I have a trigger warning for this episode as it discusses suicide. If you are struggling with suicidal thoughts or need someone to talk to, please call or text 1-800-273-8255. I'm your host, Catherine, psychic medium, self-worth coach, and true crime addict. If this is your first time listening or if you're a regular listener of Murder and Mediumship, I'd like to, number one, ask that you give this a five-star rating and review on iTunes so that each victim's story can be heard by more listeners. And number two, I would like to say that anything that you hear on this show will have source materials linked in show notes. My feelings on each case are based on intuitive hits and downloads, and everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Before I get to the case, I'd like to invite you all to check out Catherine and Intuitive on Patreon. There we share weekly energy updates, monthly energy reads, journaling prompts, interviews with murderers or celebrities who have passed, as well as monthly self-care workshops. In the month of September, we connected to Marilyn Monroe. So if you're interested in having any fun with us in that way, please go ahead and head on over to my Instagram, click the link and join our Patreon. With that being said, this case is a little bit different in that it's current. And I don't usually cover current cases, but I wanted to give something a little new a try. And I actually heard, I'd love to credit the original source of what inspired me to cover this case. I heard this on one of my favorite true crime podcasts, True Crime Garage. Those guys do such an incredible job of covering such thorough detail about their cases. And they're so good at leaving any speculation aside and really just giving it to you the way that it is, but in a way that really keeps you hanging on. And their episodes are a little longer. I'm still really hooked on it, even an hour in. So they covered the case. And the first time I listened to something, I'm always kind of half paying attention because my kids are in the background or something's going on. But this time I heard his name, Durante Martin, and something just stuck. So I listened a little bit and I thought, you know, this is going to be different because I can't go into this giving as much information as I normally could because it is current. However, it feels like a case that needs more attention brought to it. And that's what we're here for on Murder and Mediumship, bringing a voice to those who maybe don't have theirs anymore because they have passed and are on the other side, or for the people who don't know how to continue their search for these loved ones who are gone, missing, murdered, whatever has happened to them. I would also like to point out that I do have a little bit of a cold that I'm still working out and getting over, recorded as last minute as I possibly could, hoping I'd have my voice back on point. So if I sound a little dry or if I cough here and there, I do apologize ahead of time. And we're going to get to the case now. On April 25th, 2020, at 3.01 in the morning, a 911 call was received by Madison County Dispatch. The call was placed by James Wade a resident of Highway Z in a rural area of Missouri, about 30 miles outside of St. Louis. According to the 911 call, James says that apparently someone was shot. And through patchy service, he tells the 911 operator that the person who was shot was about 19, 20, 21, something like that. You can hear him in the call questioning someone in the background. How old do you think he is? He obviously didn't know the person who was shot. He apparently had been out fishing and returned home where his daughter was having an 18th birthday party. He claims to have have arrived around 2.30 in the morning and that the kid, quote, apparently shot himself in the attic of his residence about half an hour after he'd arrived, just a few minutes before the 911 call was placed. First off, 
Why are you away from your home on purpose while your teenage daughter and her friends are having a party? I get being out of town and they throw a party without you knowing. I mean, my house was literally known for that. Full disclosure, it wasn't me. It was always my brother. (laughs) I was a nerd. But this seems irresponsible if it is true. I'm going to play an excerpt from the 911 call placed, and I want you to listen for a good 20 seconds or so. 20 seconds in, excuse me, a female in the background is screaming and says what sounds like, oh God, you killed him. I hate this. And she sounds very upset. It sounds like the phone is muted a few times, and I'm not talking about the shoddy service or when they blank out his address. I mean, separately from those occasions, it sounds like he mutes the phone to tell them to shut up or whatever he's saying, and then scurries around trying to find a place where, one, he has reception, and two, the kids on the other end can't be heard freaking out. And so here's the call. It's about four minutes long. I'll let you take a listen. You live in Madison County 911. What's the address of your emergency? Uh, yes, I need the cops that. And an ambulance. Yeah, apparently a guy just shot himself. You said a guy just shot himself? Yeah. And that's at. Yeah. And is that where you are? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, uh, yeah. Is he breathing at all? Yeah. No. Do you think he's beyond, beyond any help? Do you, do you want to try CPR? Uh, I somehow got in the back of my uh, base. Okay. Okay, you're cutting down. Uh, hang on a second. I can't even get turned to her. Hey. Can you hear me? Let's see if he's breathing. Thank you, yes. He is breathing? For her, they said. How old is he? Do you know? How old is he? Like, maybe 20, 19, 20, 21, somewhere like that. Shot at? Uh, in the head. In the head? Or, I can't really see him, but there. Is he alert at all? Is he conscious? Uh, he don't look like it.
when did this happen? Um, three minutes ago. Okay, you're hard to hear again. You're cutting out, sir. You're cutting out. I can't understand you. Trying to find the spot where I can talk. Hello. I can hear you now. Okay. Uh, right now I called you. What was your name? Uh, James Lee. Okay, so Durante was pronounced dead at the residence on Highway Z from a gunshot wound to his head. His death was ruled a suicide by Madison County Coroner, though his family and other locals would protest this ruling. We're going to rewind now all the way to the beginning and see how he even got to the attic of James Wade's residence on Highway Z. James Wade has never been named as a suspect. I don't believe even as a person of interest in this story. The only reason that I am releasing his name is because you can find it all over the internet. He has done interviews about it. He's very vocal about it. So it doesn't feel like an invasion of privacy or like the wrong thing to do here. So Durante was raised in St. Louis, Missouri, before his family moved out to Park Hills, where he and his cousin would sneak out of their neighboring trailers and cause trouble. And you can hear, I believe the cousin talks about this on True Crime Garage. If he doesn't, they do a really good job of summarizing it. Durante was a sophomore in high school and attending an alternate school for, quote, troubled kids because of his attendance record. He was approached by a coach from Central High School and told that if he could get his attendance on point, he could come back to Central and play football for the Central Rebels. According to his cousin, this is what changed his life. Football changed everything. They got their lives on track because of football and were headed in an entirely different direction than they had been prior to this. In fact, as a star athlete, Durante was offered a scholarship to a smaller college out of state under the stipulation that he got his SAT scores up to be admitted to school. So this is an absolutely life-changing opportunity for Durante. His mom was already going from like rags to riches. She had just bought a house for herself and for his five siblings. They were out of the trailer park. And at 19 years old, Durante was working two jobs, one at Walmart and one at a local restaurant until because of COVID, he lost his restaurant job. He was taking a year off to get his SAT scores up, so he was either studying or working. And according to his friends, he was so proud of his mom and so excited for this house that he was FaceTiming his friends from his room to show it off when it didn't even have anything in it yet. It was the first time in his life at 19 that he had a bedroom to himself. And my point in saying this is that he had a lot to be excited for. He had college coming up which he probably never thought was even an option for him because someone went out on a limb, spoke up for him, got him into the football program, got him to get his grades turned around, and now all he has to do is get his SAT scores up for admissions test. So his mom bought their house in Ferguson. This is where he was living at the time that he left for the party, and it's a predominantly white area. His mom, Erica Lotz, and their family are not white. They are a black family. 
and on the evening of the 23rd, he was going out with some friends from his alternative high school in Park Hills. So this is the school he was going to before he left it to go play football. I want to make a note here that when I was first feeling into this case, I felt that he had been with white kids and that they were from his old high school, not from Central where he played football. The kids from this group feel like a few who were still in high school and a few just had recently graduated, likely the same time as Durante. And what I find interesting in this is that I automatically got the feeling of kids who were up to no good, that these were the kids that Durante had left behind when he went for Central, when he left for Central, but that they were, they were who was like left, so to speak, from those who had left for school. As mentioned though, Durante was working on getting his SAT scores up for admissions into the college with a scholarship. So at this time, if he wasn't working, he was studying. And just interjecting here, I would assume that because he lost his second job due to COVID, that he maybe had a little bit more time on his hands. And I know what they say about idle hands, right? What is it? Idle hands do the devil's work or whatever. So it's possible that he could have been getting into more trouble, but I don't feel like he was getting into any kind of real trouble. If I mean, there's a difference, right? So On April 23rd, he went out with these kids and told his mom, Erica, that one of them would drop him off at Kimberly Robinson's, this is his grandmother's house, in Park Hills. He was going to visit friends in Fredericktown about half an hour away. Well, you all know what happens here. Durante never shows up to his grandma's house, and in an interview with a local news station, his mom says that they received a call on the 25th that he had been shot and was dead. On April 29th, the Sheriff's Department posted on their Facebook page that the death of Durante Martin was in fact caused by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Now, this is where it's going to get confusing. There's so much that is going around between his family, between the media, things that aren't spoken, between friends who are speaking about it, that it, it all gets kind of confusing. Um, there's not a lot of national news coverage, if any, on what's happening. So everything is local and it's all very recent. The toxicology report included with the initial evaluation of his death showed that he had, quote, enough methamphetamine in his system to cause irrational thinking. Yes, you heard that right. Meth. I have to say that I do not believe he took this on his own. I don't dispute that it was in his system. I don't think the pathologist is lying by any means, but I don't see him doing it on his own or really even of his own volition, almost like he was forced into doing it. And I did read that the original pathologist, Dr. Russell Dedeker, noted that not only did Durante have meth in his system, but he also had THC in his system. Now, one thing I didn't understand in seeing drug use, and I realized that marijuana is a drug. But I'm in the pro-legalized weed because it's far less dangerous than alcohol camp, and I don't often see that as, quote, drug use when I read for people. In fact, if I say, oh, did your son use drugs when I'm doing a reading because I see drug use, and they'll say, oh, well, he smoked weed. That's not what I mean. I mean hardcore drugs. So however, if he were smoking weed at this party, it seems possible, or even taking edibles, that he was high enough that he was able to kind of be shot up with the meth. And I know that those of you who have a a broader understanding of drug use are probably rolling your eyes at me right now. I get that it would take a lot of marijuana to get you that high that you wouldn't really give a shit. But I also am fairly certain that a good chunk of people from my high school, a few of my friends even have been that high. 
So regardless, I just don't believe that he took these drugs willingly. The way I see it is almost like, no, man, I'm not taking that. And then someone just kind of being like, wouldn't it be funny if you did though? And not necessarily how the situation played out because it's way more serious than that. But I don't believe that he intended to take it. I wholeheartedly believe that someone shot him up with that meth, whatever that looks like. Those are the blanks that you can fill in because these are the parts of the puzzle that I'm seeing. The interjection is about how high he was. I know though that he did not do that himself. Anyway, the 911 call was placed by James Wade, an openly racist person with a distaste for black people. And I know that a lot of podcasts are anti-speculation, but we're going to call it intuition and dive right on it. I do not believe that he had anything to do with the death of Durante Martin. With the cover-up, though, I believe he did. I can almost feel him hearing the gunshot and seeing something like effing kids as the whole thing begins to unfold, like an eye roll, kind of. Based on his social media alone, you can see that he places little to no value on the life of a black man. If you listen to the 911 call, he sounds so unbelievably calm. The way he reports to 911 that a man, quote, apparently shot himself gives me chills. He was calming those kids down and telling them they'd be fine before he called 911. And listen to the girl in the background. You can hear her screaming. Like I said, some something she's screaming, I hate this, you killed him. There are a number of people that I have only seen named in one or two articles, and so I'm not going to name them on the show, but I will, of course, post the links and you can do whatever reading that you so happen to stumble upon. My initial suspicion saw only white people involved in his death, and what I read in a few of these articles and witnessed in news coverage validates that for me. The gun was an Accutech 380 caliber pistol, which was lying in a pool of blood next to Durante's head. The weapon was immediately collected by a Madison County deputy. My question is, were photographs ever taken of the crime scene? It doesn't sound like they were, but maybe and hopefully I'm very wrong. The residue test showed barium and lead on his left hand, which indicated a gun fired at close range. What I would offer here is close range does not mean he was holding the weapon. It means they were in close range to him. Many described Durante's behavior as strange that evening, but he was also the only black person at this known racist house and evidently didn't even know the girl whose 18th birthday it was. The names of those who took him to the party as well as the names of those at the party have not been made public. Two of the males at the party I found on Facebook, and just based on their profiles and what's actually public, they appear to be proud supporters of the Confederate flag and everything that it stands for in a way that is not something you can just poke at and call history. Not that this makes them murderers, but it sends my spidey sense tingling a little bit more. And they're supposedly the last two who were seen with Durante and claim that they were trying to, quote, talk him out of hurting himself. I think that's a great story, but that isn't true. I also don't even really think it's that great of a story. It's rumored that Durante was nervous about someone showing up to the party whom he had had quote, beef with a few days or a week prior. And I almost wonder if that's how they got him into the attic. Did they convince him they would write, they would hide him there so the other guy wouldn't find him? Did they then take their opportunity? Did they make sure he was tucked into a small space like he was found so that he couldn't move quickly to get out? He was six foot three and 250 pounds. Why would he be in that space? Did they convince him that they were helping him out? 
One of these men even says that he gave Durante the gun to make him feel safe at the party because of this guy he was afraid to run into. In my opinion, he made sure Durante had at least held it so that his prince would be on it. But he also knew that his own prince would be on the gun, and this would, in his mind at least, clear him of any involvement in Durante's death. Another witness at the party claimed that these two who were with him came downstairs after the gunshot was heard. This just, this blows my mind. Said he shot himself and left, which is likely when James Wade called 911 and ran with apparently someone shot themselves. I mean, I feel like he could have literally said like, okay, go, go. I'll take care of it. We'll figure it out. Because he's also quoted as saying that getting away with a murder wouldn't be that hard. The female in the background screaming also knew exactly what happened and was shushed. If you recall, James says he's trying to get somewhere to get service. And I mean, I grew up in a rural area. There are parts of my mom's house where if you set your phone down, you won't get any phone calls. And if you're on the phone, the call drops. I believe that what he was ultimately doing, though, was trying to get to a place where the hysterical girl in the background, you know, the one who just witnessed a murder, so that she couldn't be heard. And still, another witness claims that Durante had entered a room that she was in, pointed at one of the other party attendees, and said, you set me up before exiting the room. My theory? He found out the person he didn't want to see would be there. And because of this, he was willing to hide in the attic from that person. In hiding, he actually climbed straight into his death because the two who helped, quote, hide him, already planned on killing him. And I want to say this too, because I'm pretty sure I forgot to include this in my notes. But what it felt to me initially was that there was almost like a jealousy from these two other people who he had left behind at the first school, at the alternative school. He was going on to this better school and he was being given opportunities that they were not given. And I really believe that it was kind of like a, who do you think you are to be afforded these opportunities? Like, do you think you're better than we are? That was kind of the vibe that I got from the initial reading. But even though the case, the cause of death has been overturned to violence now, there was an injunction, there was a grand jury, they overturned the cause of death to violence. No arrests have been made. No persons of interest have even been named. And for over a year now, Durante's killers have walked freely while his family fights for justice and mourns the loss of their baby. I'm not sure the local or state police are equipped to handle the case at this point, but what do I know? I know small towns like this, bonds are thick. Families have been there for a very long time, and those families are tight with each other. And if Wade made the call that said, yeah, or uh, it was a suicide, you don't know the character or belief systems of the responding officer. For all we know, it was a head nod and a yes sir looks like a suicide to me, and that's that. And if all of that doesn't convince you that Durante's death wasn't a suicide, this was the second suicide of someone who didn't live there on the property. James Wade's house saw two suicides of non-residents. Isn't that something? The second autopsy that was performed, you can find videos and I will post them, of this doctor explaining that the gun had to be at least two to three feet away in order to make that type of entrance wound, that the soot mark on his head was common in a shot that was placed from that far away, that because it wasn't right up to his head, there was no imprint of the muzzle on his head, just the soot ring, 
but they also have just been negligent in the way that they've handled some things around all of this. His clothing still hasn't been returned to his mom. It's just gone. That's completely unfair. She lost her baby. She doesn't even have the last thing that he was wearing. And it's it's protocol to return that stuff. So that blows my mind. And it blows my mind, too, that there are witnesses who claim to have been there on the main floor with others, heard the gunshot, saw people run, and other people are backing this up. It's not just one person. It's not just one person. There was a demonstration in May over Durante's death that that attracted about 100 protesters to Fredericktown. If you recall, Ferguson, Missouri was already a hotbed a couple years ago for racial inequality and misrepresentation and being treated unfairly by law enforcement. There have been multiple riots in the area, and the region of Missouri was actually home to a former KKK leader, Frank Ancana, who was shot to death by his wife in 2017. There's another rally planned for mid-October, according to a local news station, and they're hoping that it spurs a new investigation. His mom is quoted as saying, I would like for the federal government to take over the case or somebody in higher power because they don't seem equipped. It's like they don't want anything to do with it. And just as a side note here too, there were a couple of different sources that talked about how Highway Patrol, which I believe is their state department in the same way that like I grew up in New York, like New York State Troopers or Virginia State Police, I believe that is what their state officers are called. Well, they just agreed with what the local findings were. And I, I just, I find it shocking. I don't find it shocking that they had to get an, they had to hire another pathologist to get a second autopsy in order to show that this was a violent death, that it wasn't noted as that in the beginning. It was treated as a suicide. And how could it be treated as something like that when it's at someone else's house for someone who doesn't even know this poor child? And then people just shrug and look the other way. Had that mother not spoken up for her son, that original verdict of suicide would have just stayed there. It was not a suicide. This is not a suicide, and I hope that this spurs some of you to pay more attention to the smaller stories that aren't getting the attention that they deserve. It's unfortunate that we have to be our own media for people who are underrepresented in the media, but hopefully this starts a change and we can all start making a little bit more noise about those who deserve more representation. If you want to help support the fight for justice for Durante, Start small by sharing this episode with friends, family, crime podcast lovers, lovers of justice, whomever you can. Then visit hashtag justice for Durante on Facebook and Instagram. Share the information that his family releases. Share the stories of their baby who died in a tight space in an attic, whose story is still unknown and whose killers are still walking freely and living their lives. Thank you for listening to another episode of Murder and Mediumship.